0: From the LA Times studio, you're listening to The Real, your source for all things entertainment. I am Sarah Rodman, and I am here with esteemed film critic Justin Chang to talk about his recent interview with Oscar-nominated director Greta Gerwig. So, Justin, let us talk about your sitting down with the Lady Bird director. How did it come to be, and how did it go?
1: Well, I was so excited to... Talk to her. Uh, Lady Bird is one of my favorite films of the year, and uh, she seemed someone that we absolutely wanted to talk more about the making of the film, but also the ideas behind it. And so we met up at uh, you know an office just near Hollywood and Vine, nice iconic uh, backdrop to our conversation, which was lovely. Uh, I was I had met her once before at the Los Angeles Film Critics Association dinner um where she was our new generation honoree and I actually was able to congratulate her for that and for winning um best picture director and screenplay from the National Society of Film Critics uh which uh, I am a member of so um, she's gotten a lot of love this season, very deservedly so. And so and it was... does she
0: seem excited about that? I mean, it seems like she must be getting overwhelmed at this point with all of the recognition that Lady Bird is getting.
1: Absolutely. And naturally, it was hard for us even to schedule, for her, not for us, but for her to schedule us in. So uh, we were very grateful that she did. Um, I think, you know, anyone who's... Uh, even tangentially related to this awards season, this is kind of a roller coaster ride and your schedule is just, um, there's so many demands on your schedule. And so for her as a double Oscar nominee for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay um you know she hasn't had a lot of free time lately so but she was very excited to do it and i think she was she definitely seemed um i don't know if it's overwhelmed i think everyone is overwhelmed to some degree by this even if whether it's your first time or your your 10th you know but i think you know you get the sense she's exceedingly grateful just that the film has connected on this level um as she should be
0: well since she was nice enough to take some time to talk to us let's take a listen to see what she had to say
1: Hello, I'm Justin Chang, and I'm a film critic for the Los Angeles Times. I am pleased to welcome our guest today, Greta Gerwig, the twice Academy Award-nominated writer and director of Lady Bird. Greta, welcome to The Real.
2: Thank you so much. It sounds so very fancy when you introduce me that way.
1: <laughs> Get used to it. I'm, you know, and I'm not the first or the last. Um, congratulations on the success of the film and your Oscar nominations for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. Um, the film itself has been received five nominations, including for Best Picture, Best Actress, Sear Sharonin, and Supporting Actress, uh, La- Laurie Metcalf. We're at that point in award season after the nominations, but before the ceremony itself. What's this in-between moment like for you? Um, have, now that the film's come out, it's been embraced. Mm. Where is your head right now?
2: Well, my very favorite part of, of getting to do this has been being able to talk to all these people I admire so much and I admire the work they've done this year and uh, writers and directors and actors and producers and sound mixers. I had a long discussion with a sound mixer, Guillermo's sound mixer, and I was like, it's, uh, it's mixed so well. And he was like, I didn't know that anyone really noticed. And it was just, a, it was an amazing moment and they're nominated for an Oscar. And that that part of it is um, just, it's, it's so fun. I mean, it's just been such an amazing experience to do these panels and and talking let, let listen to them explain how they wrote their screenplays how they put together the movies how they actually got certain shots and it's just the best i mean in some ways obviously the oscars are going to going to be tremendously exciting but it's the end of the journey mm-hmm. and being here in this moment is just is just getting to be around people i'm just t- absolutely crazy about
1: right yeah people have i've heard you know i think judy dench was the one who said it's. The nominations period is the best before anyone has to win you know it's like um and you know you are the fifth woman to be nominated for the directing oscar and the first Mm. woman to be nominated since Catherine bigelow won for the hurt locker eight years ago it's Mm. been eight years when i look at these numbers you know i think it's it's saddening because it's still so low and it's heartening because it's gonna go up and the more it goes up and the more opportunities hopefully will be created what does it mean to you to occupy this place in history with your first film
2: Oh, well, it's, I mean, it's extraordinary. I, I am not, um, it's kind of, a, it's, it hasn't all sunk in yet. I, I think for me, when I think about so many of the reasons I felt like I could do this, uh, it It. It was it, so much examples of people. And and even watching films I lo- loved and then realizing they were directed by a woman. And a big flashpoint for me, the movie that made me understand cinema as an art form, was uh, Claire Denis Boutrevaille, and then... I realized it was directed by a woman after I had this revelation of cinema as separate, uh, separate from theater, separate from photography, separate from painting, separate from opera, but somehow including elements of all of it, but it's its own, it's its own thing. And it hadn't really clicked before that movie. And then I also had this, oh, and a w- woman did this. And it's not that those moments of epiphany literally lead to then I think, and I too would like to do this, but it's a little flashpoint that I can trace back and say that was a moment when I, when it sparked this kind of growing ember, and um, you know, when Sofia Coppola won for screenplay for Lost in Translation, when Catherine Bigelow won for Best Director, those those moments did mean something to me, and they they do mean something to me. And uh, 2017 was such an extraordinary year for. Female filmmakers with, you know, Dee Rees and Patty Jenkins and Angelina Jolie and Maggie Betts and Valerie Ferris. And to be included in that group and to be honored in this way, it's just, it's, it's extraordinary.
1: Another, not, if she lives in France, uh, mm-hmm. Belgian filmmaker, Agnes Varda. Ugh. Who uh, yeah. you know? I think French. You know, the French film industry has kind of made more strides than this, perhaps than than, than we have. Mm. Um, what does it feel like to be nominated for an Oscar in the same year that Anya Tsvarda not only received an honorary award but is up for documentary feature for Faces Places?
2: Yeah, Anya yeah, Tsvarda's mm. um, yeah. been one of my favorites for such a long time, and the way in which she has always been such a creature of the cinema, but also challenges the form of cinema at every turn that she's. N- n- never been satisfied to stay within a strictly defined category of either narrative or documentary or even the length of her films seems to defy convention and um, I love her I love this I love the tone whatever her relationship is to her subject is so honest and playful and not shying away from the hard things, but not wallowing in it either. There's something, she just has this negotiation with life that is um, I think essential.
1: I know you didn't mean it this way, but I think that's a lovely segue to your film because I see some of those qualities, all those qualities as well, and this is your film, Lady Bird, much of it drawn from your own personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about uh, Christine Lady Bird McPherson, played by Saoirse Ronan, um, who's a senior at a Catholic high school in Sacramento. And I wanted to talk about this. Um, you know, you treat this Catholic school setting with um, a great deal of humor, but also, I think, a very palpable affection for it. Um, and I think that of all the conversation around Lady Bird, there's something that maybe I, I might, to, to me it seems a little bit uh, underappreciated, which is I think there's a spiritual resonance to this movie. Um, It's not maybe what anyone would interpret as a religious movie per se, but by the end, and especially after the closing scene, which I won't give away, Mm. there's a sense that Lady Bird, despite not being religious or having hated and rejected so much of her upbringing, uh, has come to appreciate the presence of something sublime, divine, whatever you call it. Um, Mm. Yeah, can you talk about just weaving that in, and was that your experience also? Um,
2: Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, I, um, I, I I don't know how to talk about this without sounding either kind of goofily mystic, or um, I was not raised Catholic, I was raised um, Unitarian Universalist, which is a very liberal branch of vaguely Christianity, but it's more ecumenical, I wouldn't even put it totally in that category, and so much of what I've come to as a writer is really organizing stories around stories that to me, are somewhat rooted in theology, even if no one notices it but me. It's a way for me to organize my, my thoughts and the direction of my storytelling. And... Um it was true in Francis Haw it was true in Mistress America, and in ways that no <laughs> that I really don't think anybody picks up on this one it's more clear and I'm glad that y- you bring it up. I've always been fascinated by the theological idea of grace. It was explained to me that it's um completely unexpected and wholly unearned It's not something you can achieve through good works it's 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 given and um and it's can be hard to accept and I think I often think of parents love as being equivalent to grace because you you love a person before it's a person and there's something about that that it's it's very very moving to me and that any any moment is an opportunity for grace that that, that the holy moments don't exist just when um something big happens it can be very small and and it and it's not only for important people or worthy people in in fact that's that's the opposite of the prerequisite. So I'm interested in that moment. And for me, I wanted to give her some of that. But then I also wanted there to be... there's This is, this is me going deep into Catholic school, but um, there's, a, there's a moment in the movie where she's asked, where are you from? And she says, Sacramento. And the person in the hears her and says, I'm sorry, where? And she says, San Francisco. And I wanted that to be both a, a funny moment, but also kind of a gut punch. Like at that moment you it's it's you're laughing but you also feel like but wait I just I know who you just sold out I know the place and the people that you just pretended you weren't part of
1: I think that comes through and you know one of my favorite scenes in the movie and I think a lot of uh, viewers favorite scenes you know sister Sarah Joan the school principal played by Lois Smith equates love and attention or attentiveness mm-hmm. um, you seem extraordinarily attentive to all your characters in a way that continued for me this theme of kind of the spiritual dimension to the movie um and you know i'm this the sympathy that you have for everyone who is in ladybird's orbit and not just in the sense of kind of navigating this rather large ensemble but mm. for example the character of lady bird's uh, best friend julie played by beanie feldstein i mean i felt that we could have followed her into a completely interesting movie of her own and you get glimpses of that movie um mm. Can you make that movie next? I yeah, kind of want to see that yeah, movie, actually. No, no. That's so. It's <laughs> yeah. so nice that you
2: put it that way because that's yeah. exactly the feeling I wanted to create. Like You could follow any one of these people and there's a whole movie there. And um, I had great actors to do that with. It was my intention on the page. And then really to let them come to life in that way. And I, I mean, Julie is, I love Julie, I love that character. I love what Beanie did with her. She really embroidered her in this very you know, careful way. And there were all these things that I think added to the richness, like um, Beanie and the costume designer April Napier had decided that Beanie would wear a necklace in every single scene that only she knew what it was. And what it was, was they decided it was... a. Uh, her dad gave it to her when she was five before he left. And it's not something that the audience ever knows or needs to know, but it, I think it does add a richness there, because you feel like you're coming into a, a life that's uh, in full progress. And, um, yeah, the scene... The, the, the Sister Sarah Jones scene about um, love... And attention. Um, I really, the the character of Sarah Joan, I knew I wanted, I I didn't know that I would be able to get Lois Smith, but I knew I wanted someone like Lois Smith um, because she's not saccharine. There's nothing saccharine about her. I didn't want it to be someone who doesn't see things clearly. It's that they see things clearly and then see the potential beyond that. So, you know, she doesn't. Take any of Ladybird's crap, <laughs> like she can kind of. She's like, you definitely de- decorated my car this way. You're definitely not good at math, but she does um, see something else there. And the, the sentiment that she expresses, um, don't you think they're the same thing? Love and attention is actually somewhat. I was basing that on the letters, really, of Simone Veil. Veil, Ve. I've heard it different ways. Simone Veil. It's a if, W. E I L, uh, and she was a uh, a mystic, and she 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 died young um, in the French Resistance during World War II. Um, she went hungry, but she was she was a fascinating character, um, and she wrote these beautiful letters. And she said something to the equivalent of attention is the purest form of prayer. And I always thought that that was. Um, stunning and 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 then that worked its way into the philosophy of sister sarah joan um i'm also to go in in some ways back to theology as well it's like i'm always interested in um what women do in male structures um particularly the catholic church is quite a male structure and um i knew from the beginning i'd written in uh that this teenage girl lady bird after she's Flown out of the car. These opening shots of a, a liturgy was her staring at stained glass windows of Jesus doing different things, and sort of like, how do I fit in here? What, I mean, what 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 is the place of a teenage girl in this? And priests are always at the front of the church, and they're the ones talking, and the, the nuns aren't talking as much. And wh- where do you fit in? And then. And I, I loved when I wrote the scene of them eating the communion wafers, these and talking about masturbation and the sacracy, I was like, well, in some ways, that's the holiest thing. What are they going to no. do here? I mean, what? Are, I mean, how does a teenage girl fit into this structure? And I'm, and I, you know, I've been inspired by a lot of women and nuns who have found a lot of meaning in. A structure that doesn't necessarily include them, but they're that they're broadening to include them. And um, yeah, it's a, it, the nice thing about writing fiction. Is fiction is that you don't really have to have answers; you just have to have questions.
0: So it sounds like religion was a really important aspect of writing and making this film.
1: Absolutely, I think it was crucial to the experience, and one of the pleasures of getting to talk to her was being able to delve into. The Theology of Lady Bird. So. The
0: theology of Lady Bird. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break, and we'll come right back and pick up with Greta Gerwig. Lady Bird is a semi-autobiographical comedic drama written and directed by Greta Gerwig and set in Sacramento, California in the early 2000s. Starring Saoirse Ronan, the story follows a high school senior and her turbulent relationship with her mother, played by Laurie Metcalf, as she navigates love life and coming of age in America.
1: I want to go where culture is but like how New in the York world did I race, or at least snob. Connecticut or New Hampshire right.
2: where writers live in the get woods. Get into
0: those schools anyway. Let us go back and pick up with Justin Chang and Greta Gerwig talking about her Oscar nomination for Lady Bird.
1: I think it's remarkable you achieve this contemplative quality in this movie that never feels like it's slowing down. And I wanted to talk a little about the editing. I actually wish your editor, Nick Huey, had been um, nominated as well mm. um, because the construction of this movie feels very intricate. You know, you you have this... There's this velocity you achieve. It's very... It, it feels... Most French New Wavey to me. I don't know, speaking of yeah. French influence, but um, but at the same time, by the end, you feel like you've gotten to know everyone you're supposed to get to know. And yeah. can you talk about just the editing? It feels in, in putting this puzzle together.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, definitely the, the the French New Wave uh, without jump cuts because I don't I don't do anything like that. But I, I, the sort of pace of feeling like you're you you cut out just as the moment it comes into focus. That is something that has always stuck with me. I mean, even like the I think of the end of Four Hundred Blows, like we're done. And you like, you kind of, a, you feel like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> and it's that thing of trying to hold on to it. I've always loved that kind of editing. And I knew in the script, I wanted a sense of, I had the sense of moments aggregating and time tumb- tumbling forward faster than you can hold on to it. And just the pace of time is in and of itself emotional, that it's, it's linear, it's moving in one direction, and it's somehow speeding up. I put this sentiment in a screenplay um, with Noah, uh, Mistress America. She said, uh, the the character I played, Brooke, says, um, each passing year feels faster because it's a smaller percentage of your life. Um, And I and i think that that's at the end of high school there's that quality of like it's speed, it's all speeding up and it literally is speeding up from the standpoint of like relativity and time and um but i wanted that kind of yeah that breath, breathless quality of it, it i can't hang on to it and also the musical they do and it um merrily we roll along has this kind of time slipping through your fingers and i i think it's very um You know, we're all... This makes me sound like I'm a total California hippie, but we're all trapped by linear time. (laughs) But we are trapped by linear time. (laughs) But yeah, Nick Huey Huey is the most um, soft-spoken, sweet guy. Totally not... um, You would think he would be much more... Um, jumpy based on the editing and um, but he yeah he and I kind of always spoke the same language about it and with the editing this is kind of a long winded answer but with the editing I love theater I I love theater and I loved theater I would say first I, I fell in love with cinema later and rhythm in theater is established through words and language that is because there is no cut so that is where this, the the feeling um, the pace of the, the piece is is contained, and I've never lost my love for rhythm set through language, and I think that's part of my love of um, you know Preston Sturges and Howard Hawks and that kind of patter of language. Now in film, because editing tends to set, set rhythm more than language. If you have a language-driven film, which this is, I I don't don't do improvisation, I like words said as I wrote them because I have kind of a metronome in my head of where everything is supposed to fall, then the task of editing is to almost play a, a counterpoint to it or a syncopated beat, not to set a different rhythm but to play under it in a way and he always understood that instinctively it, it was almost like i we would both hear when something was wrong and it was hearing it as much as seeing it and and that process was just like it was like finding a musician who could play with you i use that metaphor because i can't play an instrument so I, it could be right or it could be wrong <laughs>
1: Absolutely, it reminds me too that a lot of your performances are in really terrific dialogue comedies, like Mistress America, like Damsels in Distress, and it's uh, in a way not that that's the only uh, inspiration or impetus for this, but you, you know, Lady Bird is like that as well. Even though you yourself are behind the camera this time, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, It's um, I I I think I remember when I was like trying to do Shakespeare badly, but then I had a really good um, professor who. I, I was at Barnard College for Women in New York, and it's associated with Columbia. But anyway, they have a lot of Juilliard teachers teach us. And she was teaching Shakespeare. And I was doing, like, Macbeth or something. And she said, you're trying to feel the emotion and then say the lines. And with Shakespeare, the lines will give you the emotion. You have to let yourself surf the language. If you muscle the emotion, the language will never come. And I thought I, there was something about that that made sense to me, and I think the task in cinema for me, because I like words, is finding a way that the image and the sound and the editing is um, is not fighting that, but that it that it is cinematic. It's 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 a it's a negotiation <laughs> every time. But I wanted I, I very much wanted like even the look of the film, even to go back to the religious stuff. I wanted it to look like almost uh, triptychs or still lifes or um, stained glass windows, like that every wide shot could tell a story. And that it kind of had that presentational feeling that felt um, satisfyingly cinematic, but also that I had that kind of iconic religious imagery, which maybe only I would know.
1: But even also the title treatment right in mm. the in the in the advertising materials the the kind of old school calligraphy yeah yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I had um we went through this big process because I all the thought i mean i ha, I'm kind of a nightmare about titles because I feel like I want them to be very cared for there's nothing that drives me crazier especially with independent films when I feel like they just picked a font. I, I, it makes me insane. Um,
1: that bugs me too. <laughs> like when, yeah.
2: It no. feels like you didn't wrap my <laughs> present. I wanted a wrapped present and, and you just handed it to me in the bag from the store and I feel like, no, I want, I mean, so uh, the, I, I worked with an artist, um, Leanne Chapton and a graphic designer, Teddy Blanks, and they, what they did was they painted like 10, 15 times too big both the ladybird title which was almost like a logo i wanted it to be like armor or something like a like a logo and then it, it it was shrunk down so it doesn't look painted like it doesn't look twee in that way but it does look like it was not made by a computer and then i did the same thing with an uppercase font and a lowercase font which teddy made up and then leanne painted bigger and then it was shrunk down so it has this kind of density and your eye doesn't immediately know that it's not a computer but somehow emotionally you know it's not a computer i think so much of this like um Te- absorbing technology works like that. It's on some instinctual level.
1: I haven't even asked you yet about uh, <laughs> Saoirse, the, the, the heart of the movie. Uh, this is one of the great mother-daughter movies I think we've seen in a while. Um, Ronin and Laurie Metcalf give such great performances. Um, it's very emotionally unsparing, I think. And I think the thing people keep saying about this is, "Oh, I saw this in my relationship with my mother," or in my case, you know, my whatever, or or, or a guy's case, you know, my mother and sister, whatever yeah. that configuration is. Um, there's this unsparingness, this kind of willingness to be emotionally brutal in the, in the arguments that they have and mm-hmm. starting with the very first scene and then all the way throughout. Yeah. And just talk about shaping those scenes in the writing stage and in the directing stage with... Uh, Sersha running and Laurie Metcalf, yeah, how, knowing wh- how far to go into that um,
2: right well, first, I have to compliment you because you pronounce sersha 's name, right you say Sersha <laughs> and that 's actually the Irish way to say it. She would be very happy to know that, that makes you, my day you 've yeah. done that <laughs> people um, still have a
1: hard time with it so, yeah which is, no,
2: well no. you 're nailing it. I remember when I was writing the script it was a, it was a calibration because um, I mean, one of my favorite mother-daughter movies is actually Grey Gardens, um, the Maisel's documentary, because it's 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 it so gets at the repetitive nature of familial arguments. You can have the same discussion a million times. And I love that quality. And I wanted to include some of that, like. This feeling of like you've had this fight a million times. You've had the, the, like you could recite each other's lines for each other, and then there are the moments where like this is a new dimension to the fight. This is an, another bit of information. And so with the actresses, with Laurie Metcalf and Sersha Ronan, I we went through very specifically every single beat of every single scene, and it was like, is this new? Is this different? Where's the trigger for the fight? Where's the resolution for the fight? And getting really granular about it, and. I think because of Laurie's stage background, that kind of detailed, what they call table work, is, is really comfortable for her. It doesn't make her feel like it's going to kill the performance. It only deepens it. And and Saoirse, as far as I can tell, can do pretty much anything ever. Um. So she was, you know, she, she worked that way as well. And then getting the script to the point of it, yeah, it was like, it was balancing it because... I knew I didn't, if, if the fights and the conflict didn't seem real, I knew that the love wouldn't seem real. And it wouldn't matter. Because if it's all great, what does it matter? That she set, tells her mom at the end she loves her and she's, that that, that, that only has meaning if you kind of make it hard. But it, it it was about, I think, ultimately in the writing and then in the acting, it was about making everything so specific that it never felt repetitive or naggy, that it was always grounded in these very clear things. But yeah, I mean, I went from a 350-page script down to 120 pages. So I, I had to cut out a lot of the repetition because I uh, inevitably I just had... Repetition, um, and I kind of wanted to condense it to its most potent form. But that's my process of writing. It's so long, and I wish I could, I could speed it up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think you've achieved that desired alchemy somehow, and it's been really Thank ruthless you. on yourself. And the movie is, you know, really great for it. And so. Thank you. Uh, Greta, congratulations. Thank and you. Thank you. Uh, really happy for the film's success, and thank you for joining us today thank you. on The Real. That it was, was great
2: podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> How much time
0: did you end up having with her?
1: About half an hour. Wow, Um, that's good. Yeah, no, it was, uh, in in these days, that is generous. So, um, And something that was very funny as we were kind of wrapping up um, and going our separate ways, a publicist came up to Greta and and presented her with a gift that she had received from Tom Hanks. And it was a typewriter. So (laughs) Tom Hanks is, of course... um, I I didn't actually know this until recently, but uh, something of a typewriter enthusiast and uh, I gather likes to send them out as presents to folks. And Greta Gerwig was so excited and she was, you know, know, to have received one. Um, So that was a, a lovely moment.
0: I love that Tom Hanks is a typewriter enthusiast, and that is apparently a thing that you can be, a typewriter enthusiast. <laughs> and that it's entirely possible that Greta Gerwig will take that typewriter, write another film on it, and maybe get nominated for an Oscar next year and happen. have Tom Hanks to thank.
1: Yes. <laughs> Do you think Tom Hanks, uh, T. Hanks, th- is Thanks his nickname? I don't
0: know. That's what he says on Twitter. T. Hanks. Thanks. That's...
1: <laughs> That's funny. I need to follow Tom Hanks on Twitter. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. So,
0: speaking of Twitter, Justin, where can the people find you on Twitter?
1: At Justin C. Chang.
0: Go find him there. At him. Tell him what you think about the real, the podcast that you have been listening to. We are wrapping up now. Thank you so much for listening. Please download us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite listening. And until next time, I'm Sarah Rodman. to get these and many other award nominated films go to itunes.com/oscars